everyone, welcome to Tech Talks. Today we have the NF temperament, known by Kiersey as the idealist, and known by Linda Behrens as the catalyst. So catalyst stands for something that transforms, but is not transformed itself. It's a transforming agent that's able to instigate a process of change in, in other things, but is itself stays in integrity. A few of the traits that NFs share is wanting to help individuals realize their potential. NF types are known for their empathy. And so what this temperament shares is actually a deep empathy for the world, for the people, and for deeper issues of society. People of this temperament tend to want to help, as I said, foster potential and growth through the forms of counseling, communicating, coaching, and teaching. They generally look to the future and are very visionary and idealistic. They kind of see a utopia for society and they kind of want to help make the world more of its potential. So it's all about seeing what could be and trying to realize that potential, especially when it comes to people though, or like humans or souls, working with some sort of personal element and transforming it whether it's through creative means or getting people to search further into themselves, into their souls, is really fostering change. Oftentimes, NFs feel like they're meant to change the world, but they don't really feel like they're meant to be a part of the world. So they can feel kind of disconnected from the world, but also here to kind of change it. NFs tend to be diplomats. They tend to excel with the skill of diplomacy. And what this means is that they tend to figure out through mutual cooperation or some sort of nonviolent mean on how to make the world a better place through love. <laughs> There's a deep empathy for others suffering that this temperament shares and wants to kind of rectify that suffering in the world. And so NFs is very relevant to the book that I'm writing, which will include a section on the NF temperament. And I'm writing this book with Brady, the ESFP, from my panels. And so this is still rough work. We wrote this really quickly, but here's the rough section we have on NFs, just a small little teaser of it. We named the NFs the idealistic utopians. And so they're focused on what is valued in the realm of concepts and ideas, trying to create an idealistic utopia. The NFs are constantly coming up with ideas on how to make humanity better. An NF is never satisfied with the status quo. They are always seeking for improvement. When empathizing, they want to listen and absorb the essence of a problem. They're less interested in solving a person's problem and more interested in understanding the cause of the problem. Yes. Why do you feel X and why do you want to feel Y? And so the NF's statement is, how can the optimal value be obtained and reached? And so that's a bite-sized chunk of a small section of the book that we're writing. It's still in progress, so we're still refining it. That's a little teaser there. Going to be the best book of all time. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> and so to get this party rolling, Carol, could you tell us a bit about you? Sure. Um, I am a classic poster child for ENFP preferences. I just, I'm not saying that it's not neither good nor bad. It just is what it is. I was in a bookstore and somehow Kiersey's um, 
uh, please understand me too, somehow ended up in my hands and a light bulb turned on and my life has never been the same since. It's, I've read about, you know, I did, what he calls idealist, Barron's calls catalyst. And it's like, oh my God, here's someone who finally understands me. It's like my whole, I, I was like 34 when I discovered this book. I imagine none of y'all are even 34 yet, but I was 34 when I found this book. And I've really, I've had a profound sense of feeling seen for who I am and understood for the first time in my entire life. Uh, and I've been, uh, uh, my second career, what, for the past 20 years, I've been teaching and speaking and writing about psychological type and temperament and interaction styles. And it's my dream career. And thanks to Kiersey, I survived corporate America because he taught me enough to help me flex to survive corporate freaking America. <laughs> and then I ended up creating my dream career. Uh, which I've done for 20 years now. So I, that's probably enough of me talking, but I'm glad to be here. And I eat this stuff with a spoon and I get up out of bed hoping to teach somebody about this every day. So I'm glad to be here. It's really nice to hear your story with type and how it was a game changer for you. It helped you make sense of all your eccentricness and your idiosyncrasies that are different than other people. And it gave it a label of feeling seen and heard instead of shamed as NFness is often shamed or ignored or disregarded in culture. Cause it sounds a little woo woo. Sometimes like when NFs are full blown. A little, a little woo woo. <laughs> All the NFs get, get told to go and NF themselves. <laughs> we are the definition of woo woo Joyce. We are the embodiment of woo woo. <laughs> we are. The more ourselves we are, the more other people are like, Wow, are you are you for real? <laughs> yeah, or, or why why do you exist? Yeah. Until, until they need us, and then then thank thank God that we exist. Darn straight, Paul. Darn straight. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes, it can be seen kind of as a little threatening to be an NF too, because sometimes NF ideals are not always the most realistic ideals. They are the most optimal ideal. So this is like the best state of humanity. But sometimes people find it really hard to sometimes believe in what NFs preach because they see so far into what people could be that people are afraid that that's not something realistic that can be met. But NFs are like, you can make it realistic. Like, I just genuinely believe that this can be a better reality for everyone. And so oftentimes NFs are met with the ST and they're like, oh no, <laughs> and there's this like fight over that. When we learn about NFs, we learn that everyone has something to contribute to the ecosystem of the world and that we don't have to stuff down the most essential parts of ourselves to be alive. That oftentimes what we contribute the most to the world are the things that aren't immediately accepted because it takes time for people to accept something that is change, even if it's good change. And so, Denzel, would you like to tell us a bit about you? Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Denzel. I'm an ENFJ. I'm also a life coach, life slash personal development slash relationship coach. Um, and I learned about um, Myers-Briggs and Type uh, back in 2014, I believe. Um, I, to make a long story short, um, I... My my INFJ friend David and my now wife 
um, Jamila, who's ISFP, they were both talking about it. Um, and then they wanted to, they were trying to figure out what type that I would be. So they already knew what types they were. And then when they got me to take the test, then I took the, I took it the first time and I got ESTJ and we all three were like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second time I took it and I got ESFJ and I was like, okay, you know, like, yeah, that, that was fun. Um, and I just kind of like left it alone. <laughs> Right, it was 16 personalities, so you know how they are. The gold uh, standard. Exactly. Um, but then I, uh, like, as I kept on, like, you know, just, I literally like, just threw it aside because I saw it as, like, a which Disney princess are you kind of, like, test BuzzFeed <laughs> kind of thing. Um, which are you, by the way? Which one? I'd probably say Esmeralda. <laughs> there you go. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> but uh, so it was actually Jamila's older brother, he's an ISTP. Um, he was studying Myers-Briggs in depth because he was a screenwriter. And so he like asked Jamila like a few questions about me. He's the one who actually told Jamila what type she was too. And he was like, Denzel's not an ESFJ, he's an ENFJ. Um, and so Jamila goes to read about all of it. And then she's like, oh my gosh. And then she's like, Denzel, you have to check this stuff out. Like it's so you and this is that. And I was a little bit annoyed because, again, like, I'm like, I don't really care which Potter's house I'm in and all that. Like, I just, this stuff is not really real or, like, it's real enough to, like, where it's just, like, general or whatever. But then, like, when I read the ENFJ one, it was, like, so yeah. scary accurate about yeah. so many things. And it brought a lot of, like, security into a lot of the NF things that, you know, we might be going into that made me be like, okay, wow. And then I got really surprised. I'm like, Andy, her older brother, I'm like, how the heck did you know what type I was, but the test didn't? And like, I want to learn how to do what you do. And then I found like Dave's superpowers and personality hacker and started like learning about the functions. And I started talking about it on my YouTube channel. And then people were like, oh my gosh, can you, I like pay you to like talk about this? And then it's like, yeah, sure. So here we are. <laughs> wow. Cool. Yeah. And Paul? I'm still trying to process um, a couple things because if, you know, Carol said she found MBTI in her 30s and she's only 29, that that must meant she found it in the future. So I'm, I'm just getting a little, um, I, I am an INFP, which essentially means I'm a doormat that talks. I uh, am a crybaby, but you'll never see it. Uh, I write poems, you'll like them, and I, but I'll never admit it to your face. Um, and gosh, and I uh, try to be original with intros that kind of fall flat. Uh, I think that's a decent summary, perhaps. Um, I'm a, a Gemini, which means I was born in June and nothing else. Uh, let's just get that out of the way. Um, I, I got into type... Uh, when I was 18, that was back in 2011, um, winter 2011. Uh, you know, some friends, uh, we were trying to work on an English assignment and um, I thought I had ADHD, my God, there. And they ended up pulling out the MBTI and human metrics. We, we went through it. Um, uh, I got, I got a, found a link to Kiersey's book and I, I bought it, I think like the next week. Uh, that, please understand me too, that was my first intro as well. Um, and that just made a cast. I read that like literally probably 10 times and taken incessant notes on those. I've read all of Kiersey's works. Um, 
uh, Red Myers, Jung, Nardian Barons, um, got into op the objective personality. Um, it's just truly a wonderful system that I would, if I could get paid just to study this stuff, I mean, I, I, I would. So I, I, guys, I need your secrets. I really do. Uh, on this book, INFP, I'm, I just, no money. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, excited to be here and we'll hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully keep the jokes to a minimum, which unfortunately is going to be still uh, quite copious. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see until Joy shuts me down. If you, if you see my mic getting muted, I didn't do that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just no, I'm kidding. I'm, no, I'm just. Oh, I, I was in thank shock. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I was in shock when you started to make the joke about I'm an INFP, so I have no money. If anyone doesn't get that reference, INFPs look like. INFPs get it. INFPs get it. INFPs get it. Yeah. They do. They really do. <laughs> yeah. They really do. If you check out Trudy's annual salary survey, you'll see that INFPs are the lowest <laughs> on paycheck. <laughs> oh, that was too funny. Okay. It's and, real. It's real. Hi, my name's Joyce, and I'm a certified nope. MBTI practitioner, and I facilitate the instrument and organizations. I also type and coach people. And so my journey into type was um, I had an ENFP best friend and she typed me and she typed everyone we knew, my family members, uh, schoolmates, every single person. And so she told me, you can take a test, but tests are normally wrong. I already know your type, you're an INFJ. So it was kind of like an FI statement of love. It's like, I know you better than you know yourself. And so look at how much I know you friend. But it came across as really blunt and TE. <laughs> And, and so that's what got me into type because she told me things about myself that no one really understood. And it was from typology. And there was this kind of catalyst bond that we shared together. There's this type of idealism when NFs get together, they discuss together about their sorrows with the world and how the world could be made a better place. So it's almost like NFs are really emotionally naked with each other. And so through my emotionally naked relationship with my ENFP, I just learned to be naked in general. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> so an, 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 an NF value is emotional nakedness. And, and so they, they really want us, I, I hear a noise. I hear like a doop, 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 doop. <laughs> Sorry. Was it this? Yes. I was trying to mute the telegram notifications uh, because then I, I thought you'd like be off with my head if it came out. Um, I'm sorry. I don't uh, know why I'm like this. It's it's not. No, you. no, it's not. No, no, that, that's not bad. You're allowed to be like, you're allowed to have an infection. I just love the irony that I was trying so hard to do something for you. And then I did, I kind of committed the offense I was trying to avoid committing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> God, having TE last is hard. Because yeah, like it's like God made stupid people, you know. You have to keep these parts, Joyce. Just make them black and white or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> if, it makes, if it makes you feel better, I have extreme. I don't know about you guys, but I have extreme auditory sensitivity, and it is not fun 
it no. makes it, it took me years to figure out why I couldn't sleep in hotels. Um, I have to wear my Bose headphones and have, a, you know, have music playing to sleep in a hotel. So it is not fun, but um, don't, you don't have to apologize for your sensitivity. We, we tend to have that. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. I'm not making fun of you, Biffle. Sorry. I did, uh, no, I was just uh, trying try to make jokes so, so people think I have value as a person. That's it. Cool. Yeah. So back to the topic of emotional nakedness, something that NF shares a desire to be more vulnerable, to be more open and to facilitate deep conversations. So it's almost like piercingly deep conversation is a need almost. And oftentimes NFs kind of feel like that need for spiritual, emotional, philosophical, conceptual depth is not met. And so there can be an inner angst or deset or inner something missing that you can feel and that you you'll try to express to other people, but they'll never really understand it. So it's kind of like this desire for depth of connection, depth of intensity, of bond, being able to to kind of talk to someone theoretically and have someone actually like throw the ball back to you and build on your theoreticalness. Like, because oftentimes NFs will just have people either listen to their theoretics and go like, yeah, or people don't accept it. So either way, it's it's still unsatisfying. Like one is the other party isn't adding to the theoretical thought, which makes it a little empty, but it's still nice that the other party accepts it. And then the other one is just blatant disregard for idealism that the NF has. And so oftentimes the NF will go through a push and pull between that. And it's nice to kind of, be finally at home, you know, with other NFs that see these ways in which life can be a little better for souls on the earth. And that it's possible to change the world through idealism is NFs really want to believe because it's almost like NFs live in a state of fantasy. Like they see how the world could be this fantasy that they see. And so they're oftentimes trying to chase this better image of the world. Because that image of the world feels more real than reality itself. And so, yeah. You, you have to play Mariah Carey's fantasy at the end of the video now. <laughs> no, no. But it is good to be with other NFs where you're not going to get the two default responses of, mm -hmm. or, yes, I hear you. You're saying words. You know, I mean, <laughs> like, neither way, yo, right? Yeah. And so that brings me to my first question for everyone. And it's, what are some of the traits you think NFs share with each other in general? If you were to hypothesize things that NFs share. The idealism, that, that's a fantasy. That's a, that's a huge one. Um, you know, the, the intuition with the feeling it gives rise to this vision of possibilities that have a higher value than what, it, than what is current. Um, I think where we can often butt heads with other temperaments um, is the sometimes the refusal to accept reality as it is. Um, you know, when uh, when someone says, "Oh, that's just the way it is," I, I go into like a brief like violent rage, and then I have to pull back. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm I'm just kidding. I had to, my social worker helped me. Um, I, the part joke, I did that, no, I, but I did actually have anger issues when I was a kid. When I was in sixth grade, I had to work with a social worker, and I realized the boys I was sitting with and thought, oh my god, I gotta really, really check this. It was not like a, 
not a bully or anything, but I was just always angry at the world because I was saw that it, it was not what it could be. People didn't treat each other the way that they could treat each other. Um, our systems were not set up to lock people to flourish in a way that it could be. Um, it so it so often seems like there is there is the world that we have. There's a kind of mirror to it that's just a little better. I think what we what we might have to do as NS is try to connect it to and try to sort of make them one and the same. Um, trying to sort of in a, in a um, the Rogerian sense, like like Carl Rogers, but a little more cosmic, trying to bring the actual existence and the ideal existence uh, to become one and the same. Um, and I think that can result in uh, some anger and frustration, uh, regardless of whether it's more contained or whether it's more uh, expressed. Still looking at me. Should I say more? Usually I say too much. What'd you do? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Y'all are just gonna have to forgive her. She's she's an ESFJ three six year old, um, and she I've been trying to teach her how to speak quietly, and she just can't fathom that. So <laughs> so I'm sorry, Joyce. You might have to. That might be the only thing that you'd have to like bear with. Um, but aside from that. Um, to add on to what you were saying, uh, yeah, I agree with everything that what Paul was saying. And to be honest, I feel like that's like the biggest thing, like that intuitive feeling together is just really what creates the biggest punch because it's this focus on the philosophical, conceptual, abstract um, nature of how we either interpersonally connect or our core values. And then how can we not only define these abstract things, but then also improve them over time and continue to improve them. So it's kind of like what Paul was saying once again, like, you know, we have this ideal, but then we also have like what the world really is and we're never really satisfied. So I actually, um, the way that I've always thought about it is, and I made a video about this one time, I called it the carrot of idealism. And it's pretty much like, how you have a donkey and then you have a carrot that's like right in front of the donkey and the donkey is like continuously going after that carrot. And I feel like that's how us as idealists, like that's how we are. Like that's what's going to keep us going. We're never going to arrive at that carrot. And that's, you know, that's, that's unfortunately what it is. But what that carrot does is it helps us to look back and we're like, whoa, look at how far we came. And even though we we might, I feel like as NFs, we kind of already, we do know the reality that we might never get to that carrot, but we at least, the paradox of it all is believing that if we get to that, if believing that if we can get to that carrot, that's what causes the difference. So like, actually, I was at um, a museum recently and um, uh, they had like a whole bunch of like, artifacts of like, you know, things that Martin Luther King Jr., um, who I personally believe was an ENFJ, so a fellow NF, uh, like a lot of things that he like wrote and everything, like when he was back in college, high school, all of that. Um, and then he actually wrote, uh, I think uh, this was, uh, I forgot what this one was, but he wrote this and I saved it in my phone. Like I, we weren't allowed to take pictures, but I like, I wrote 
every I wrote this whole thing out because I was just wow. like, this is just so good. So I'm gonna try to read through it like really quickly, but I feel like this really captures it. He said, I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history. I refuse to accept the idea that the isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere float, floatsome and jetsome in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of priests of peace and brotherhood can um, can never become a reality. I refuse to accept the cynical notion that the, the nation after nation must spiral down a militaristic stairway into the hell of thermonuclear destruction. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. And I think that that that's to me is like NF, like just like what Paul was saying, like people saying like, you know, that's just life. No, I refuse. Well, that's just humanity. No, I refuse. Like, well, you know, hey, Martin, like people have been racist for years. That's just how it's been. No, I refuse. Like, man, people are just always going to think in this stupid way. No, I refuse. Like, I feel like that's what NF is. It's like, I'm going to chase that carrot. And even if I never get that carrot, when I look back, I'm going to see how far it's brought me. Um, and that's, that's more, that's, if anything, that's, that's rewarding enough. So that's how I view, like, I think that's what all of the NFs have in common. Like we, we refuse to accept ideals in the way that we interpersonally connect just as they are. We, we want to continue to improve them. And once we get to where that carrot once was, the carrot has now moved forward naturally. So we're just going to perpetually be trying to improve things in those regards. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so there's a restlessness to NF, because when you see how the world could be, you're always a little bit restless for what could be. And oftentimes the carrot feels more real than reality itself. At the forefront of your brain is actually the ideal potential of the world. And so with great burden comes great responsibility or with great power comes great responsibility. And so yeah. NFs kind of have this unseen mental weight that they carry because they are aware of wanting to make the world a better place. That's like something the mind cannot stop fixating on almost. And so oftentimes this abstraction that NFs are very close to because they're very close to the abstraction of how the world could be. That's also how they feel intimacy too. So sometimes the most intimate an NF can feel as if they're kind of mind, soul, heart merging with you. So they're almost intimate with the theoretical essence of who you are. So almost understanding you more abstractly feels incredibly intimate to NFs. And so oftentimes they might in relationships push for that. They're like, all right, I want to understand the abstract concept that is you. And I also want you to understand the abstract concept that is me. And that will feel like a form of intimacy that I seek. And yeah. Carol, I was wondering what your thoughts were on sharing. First of all, I agree with everything everybody said. I, you know, we're we're doing. I, I was on a, a, a broadcast once of, of, of Ben in in London, 
and somebody commented on it. Uh, he had introduced me to another a catalyst and we were just, you know, going off each other. And somebody wrote, what an NF love fest those two are having. And that didn't even occur to me. But, you know, it's like us here. We're like there's a re there's a place where we resonate the four of us together with that catalyst core. So I guess it does look like a love fest to somebody from another temperament. But it just feels like the best of reality to me when we get to do that. Um, Denzel, I don't think, thank you for reading the Martin Luther King quote. I don't think it's an accident that Martin Luther King and Gandhi were both catalyst. Neither one of them held a political position or held a military position. And they both changed the freaking world yeah. in ways that few people have ever risen to. I just, I don't think that's an, an accident that, that both of them were catalysts. Um, in addition to everything you said, I was thinking a couple of things. I wanted to know if y'all had a similar experience. I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody told me, oh, you're just being too sensitive. Oh my God, I can pay my rent with that. Yeah. It, when I was young, when I was young, it was just like shredded me. You know, it was yeah. so painful. And as I, I, I got older and I started doing what I do for a living work, first I led teams as a technical writing manager, and then I ended up uh accidentally moving myself into my dream career which was to teaching and coaching for a living and i finally realized yeah my sensitivity is an achilles heel it's my strength and it's the weak place and it's the place of source of pain and when i teach i would i would talk about uh it's like there's a uh, series of invisible tentacles they go out from my chest and they have sensors on the end of them. And they're like 10,000 of them and they pick up everything going on in the room. And it's just overwhelming. Sometimes guys, I have to shut the world out for a while because I am, I'm seeing not, there's just, it's like, wah, wah. there's too much coming in and the suffering of the world and the tragic things, it just, it gets to be too much. And I don't want to, I feel irresponsible just to shut off from the world and not be aware. But there are times, guys, I have to give myself a break. Like, I don't listen to the news Friday, Saturday, or Sunday night. I listen every morning and the other evenings. But you know what? I need some downtime. But when I'm teaching, I'm talking about, when I'm teaching uh, temperaments, I'm talking about catalysts, I talk about the sensors. And, you know, the people with intuitive feeling preferences in the room, they start doing this. They start silently nodding. And then I say, and if anyone has ever found the off button for these sensors, please tell me where it is because I can't find it and I would love to be able to turn it. And then they laugh. But guys, seriously, I don't know where the off button is. And it's a source of pain. It's also at the same time why I can do some of the things I can do in a room that help right. people. It's because yeah. I'm picking up on all that. So yeah. I just have to. I mean, it's just, it's both hands, but I finally got it that, yeah, we're like 12% of the population. We do have a level of sensitivity. I mean, there's some other folks, other temperaments that have some, have a uh, heightened sensitivity, but we, we're kind of really up there. And I just realized, you know, I have just to accept the fact that I look too sensitive to those other people, but I just had to not let that get to me because my sensitivity is part of my strength as well as part of my pain mm -hmm. and i'm just i'm thinking and i'm seeing by your nodding yeah 
it's like understanding yeah it's uh it's painful and we have to value it but I, i've learned joyce i had my feelings hurt way too many times to put it all out there all the time which is one of the reasons i love being in the type community because i get to be who i am in the type community like i get to be who i am with you guys right um I, I, i'm you know been going to apt international things for years i'm on the board i published the journal one of the reasons i'm such a part of the type community is they're my tribe you know wait we, we, you, you get to be who you are and i have a set of friends i can say i'm, I'm not interested in this is for y'all too i have a set of friends that my phrase for them is i don't have to edit myself and that's a very small number it's, it's less than five but they're like five more well, not, not counting the type community these are personal friends these are friends not from the type community there's way more there but there's just a handful of people that i'm talking and these are friends i've had for years it's like i open my mouth and i just let my pure catalyst stuff come out because the rest of the world can think that's weird but it's such a relief to be in friendship with somebody that you can open your mouth and just let what your heart is saying come out and I call that my friends, I don't have to edit anything with. And I just value the gift of those people in my life so much. Yeah, so sensitivity shows that you care and the world kind of needs people who care more sometimes because there's a culture of overstimulation and what overstimulation does is it desensitizes you. So when you actually see something that is wrong, you're so used to wrong that it's easier to dull out your care because after a while of seeing so much, you become jaded. And then after a while, your emotions actually become numbed to it if, if it's too much in media. But NFs never really get over the sensitive face. They are perpetually, eternally sensitive, especially the FI, the FI NFs though. Well, I wanna mention, uh... You know, Carol, when you ask where the off button is, um, it's so tempting to search for that. And yet, finding that off button is akin to uh, your psycho-spiritual death. Um, you know, uh, that, that kind of reminds me of um, a good friend of mine, Professor Charles Xavier from the X-Men. Um, uh, likely likely uh, an NFJ, uh, an ENFJ. Uh, in uh, Days of Future Past, that 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 film um, had it was a, it had a, a time travel element. So you had the young Xavier still struggling with his powers, and the right okay, so we've seen it. Good, we're in, we're in good company. Um, I think the the most poignant scene is where the young Charles meets the old Charles, and he's just saying, uh, you know, so much agony, so much pain, right? Um, I. I close my eyes and it it nearly overwhelms me. Um, and you know, the then the older Xavier tells his younger self that kind of it's really his gift and it, it's um, it's his burden or, or sorry, it's his gift to bear the burdens of others in a way that others can't. Um, so as much as that is a, a serious point of pain that is also what makes you uh, exceptional and i would say with purpose so it can be so hard to find that it's it's often so much easier to shut off those feelings that that idealism um 
just to go through the world. Um, follow, I'm going to sound like an IP, but but fit blend into the system, and and have you know go through life without that sensitivity. Um, but then that life would be sort of uh, meaningless in a way. You know, that, that's what you bring to the world. Um, and it, it's just, it's really nice that you found a way to use that authentically. So when you do expose that core part of yourself, it's met with uh, embracing. It's met with uh, joy, met with understanding, rather than there's something wrong with this person, right? Like you said, you always called sensitive. Uh, I, I also got uh, psycho a lot when I was a kid. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's it's it could be it can be very challenging uh, when your your emotions like you're trying to take on the burdens of other people, and it becomes very uh, very emotionally complicated. So I, feel I have that. I have um I've been introduced to the concept years ago that some of us are more emotional sponges than others. And we can, un and in a, a catalyst, uh, I think we're very prone to this as a group. And our boundaries, I mean, I feel like one of the lessons from my lifetime is learning to have healthy boundaries, okay? Not walls, but healthy boundaries. Because I have absolutely exhausted myself at some times in the past, unconsciously trying to take on other people's stuff. And guys, it, made, it, it literally can make you physically ill. It, I mean, I, I have I've had it have health consequences, so I don't want to get hardened, but I've had to learn there are places I can open up and be all of who I am. And there are places I mean, some places in groups I choose not to go in and be a part of because it's not that I don't have the strength to, but there's so much negative uh, stuff coming in that it takes so much energy to keep it out that it's like depleting me to go be a part of that. So I pick my arenas, used to pick my arenas where I would open up or not. I still do that, but more now, I pick what arenas I choose to be a part of because it's draining to be a part of arenas that are too much. Last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up here. I considered at one point being some kind of one-on-one -on -one therapist person, kind of one of, one of the fields. and. Um, I get it that, for example, I, I know some people who are professional social workers, and I just imagine doing a day of that and coming home and going feeding the cat and getting in bed and pulling the covers up over my head. Because I get it, that would I could not keep it out. It would come in and it would it would be uh, the, I would have burnout so quickly. So I don't do I I don't consider doing the therapy where you're, did anybody watch In Treatment on HBO? Oh my God, it was, Fantastic. I loved it. I loved it, but I realized I couldn't be Paul sitting in that chair because I'd, of course it, it, he had trouble with keeping it appropriate in his life too, right? I think that's the unhealed healer, right? But I got it. I, I'm here to do group work, have one-on-one -on -one heart to hearts, but it whole do group work and help groups do healing. But I couldn't choose the path. It would not be healthy for me to choose the path of one-on-one -on -one helping people solve problems in therapy because I wouldn't know how to keep their energy out of my field and it would deplete me. And so instead of contributing, Paul, it would be just draining me. So I've had to realize there are 
because of the sensitivity, I have to pick places where I can stay healthy and resourceful and be useful instead of try to do situations that would deplete me so much I wouldn't be helpful to people. So I did I did have to learn that. Comments that ENFPs get a lot is that they're too much, either directly or indirectly, because they're also very extremely high energy NFs too. <laughs> and so sometimes NFness can actually be too much in the sense that, you know, NFs are told as a life message to kind of water themselves down because people don't understand their, don't understand their idealism. And also they seem like they don't have common sense all the time. Because when you have these grand ideas for how reality could be, you look like someone who's not having their feet firmly planted on the ground. And so people will kind of just disregard you as someone who doesn't have real world common sense. When really, NF sense should be more common sense one day or more commonplace because it might give people a little hope in creating ways that are more functional in the world that are best for everyone's souls. You know, so it's kind of elevating the vibe of the world collectively together. The combination of being sensitive and having people be mean to you because you're this way equals depression and anxiety. So a lot of NFs, I think at some point may have felt depression. This is generalizing, of course, I'm not saying all NFs are depressed, but I'm saying that there may be some level of base dissatisfaction or sadness that they may not be voicing out loud. This is true of a lot of people too, but I feel like NFs have it for a specific reason. So everyone can have it, but it comes from a different place. And so the ENFP type is actually really good at hiding its sadness. So ENFPs will be actually really depressed sometimes. And to other people, they might appear really happy because ENFPs don't want to bring down other people. So what it'll, they'll do is they'll mask their emotions. It's called the sad clown syndrome, actually. And Robin Williams is a good example of that. Studying the Enneagram uh, with, oh gosh, Catherine Faber. Uh, it seems that ENFP, I'll just touch Enneagram and get off of it, okay? But on this topic you're mentioning, it's very common to have uh, ENFP preference folks who lead with Enneagram 7, which is about going for the high energy and what's the positive side here. And oh my God, when I, my experience of reading Enneagram 7 was just as revel, revelatory as ENFP and, and Kiersey and Linda Behrens. I thought, oh my God, that is me. And part of it's part of what's gotten me through some of the worst things in my life. So I, and I know it at times, Joyce, I get it. It makes me look the ENFP high and, you know, we're going to get through this and we may go to hell on a handbasket together, but by God, we're going to have a good time getting there. That's my ENFP interior slogan there. Um, and I know it looks unrealistic to some people and you're right, Joyce. I did learn in corporate America. I learned to, in my certain arenas, to reel in my ENFP out there because if it wasn't going to be helpful in some situations to be my un, un, unfettered self. So I learned to pick my areas where I could safely be my unfettered self in areas I didn't. So I'm grateful for my 
I am really totally just unrealistically optimistic. And I get that about myself. Okay. There's nothing realistic about my optimism, but my unrealistic optimism has got me through some of the most amazing things in my life. So it, it has its usefulness. I, I had fibromyalgia for 30 years and they tell you it, they don't know what causes it and it's incurable. And I just decided you're not, you can't tell me that the, the greatest power in the universe and I can't solve this. Don't even try to tell me that. That's just, that seemed irrational. Paul's laughing at me. That seemed irrational to me. How can you pause? So I spent. That was more like a amen. Yeah, thank you. So I spent 30 years. I'm, I'm serious. I spent 30 years battling fibromyalgia and I did conquer it and my body doesn't express it anymore. And I don't think I could have done that without my irrational optimism. Because all the medical authorities were telling me, this is hopeless, you can't do it, just take this medicine. And um, I twice came close to going on medical disability and both times the deciding factor was, one thing was one little thing helped me with my symptoms to keep going on. And the other thought was, I absolutely refuse to give up. I just, if I go to my grave battling this, I will go to my grave with my freaking boots on. I am not going to give up that that I can't conquer this. Um, and with some wonderful resources I got sent by the universe, I did. Uh, but I get we have to real. Yes, Joyce, I value getting to be who I am, which is one of the reasons I'm thankful to be here. But there are arenas in which it just doesn't help to be my unfettered self because it's so alien you, know, you have to meet people where they are. And so I try to bring positive energy and valuing other people. But sometimes that's all I can bring because that's all the arena I'm walking into can handle, if that makes any sense. I'll, I'll be quiet now. That was all really beautiful, Carol. And so ENFPs are probably the most optimistic of all types. And Carol is really great at demonstrating that as well. And sometimes it's what's needed to find a cure for that fibromyalgia you were dealing with, which I'm so proud that you got over. Also, um, I will just uh, set stage for a five minute washroom break. Love you so much. Thank you. My bladder thanks you. Guys, we're all so in sync with our intuition. We all have to be at the same time. <laughs> I've been in the sulfur industry for six years. And so I used a phrase I knew they'd understand. I called it, we're going to take a 10 minute input output break. And they all got it. <laughs> very nice, very nice, very nice, very nice. Well, I mean, although, uh, let's be honest, if, if it was both input and output, that would be, uh, man, that, that metabolism would be, like, <laughs> raging to the point of sickly, yeah. Um, oh, that's so funny. This is my input. This was the input part of my break. <laughs> that's fair. Makes sense. So you did output then input. Does not have to be input to get you out? Uh, I don't know, I'm, but I'm thinking last. I don't understand. You know, <laughs> software, math and stuff. I just get sad about stuff. Uh, oh, well, like input output breaks would make sense. Like maybe someone keeps a, a jar of mints next to their, their toilet. I don't know. <laughs> like eight mints on my toilet. Okay, sir. Wow. Um, be... <laughs> what, what area of the body is going to be minty fresh? <laughs> 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 No, I'm going uh, so many more places than I intended with that. So many more. <laughs> Aren't you kind of glad it did? <laughs> this is fun. This is fun. 
Cool. Okay, back on track. Cool, cool, cool. Um, awesome stuff. And so I'm wondering. We're, we're, we're like best friends, so I can make fun of her like that. Um, because I do it on her own. Um, but Joyce, you know I love you. You're the greatest, right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just jealous of you, basically, all the time. I want to be you when I grow up, and I'm like three, four years old, no, three years older than you. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, my gosh, Paul. And yeah, so really great conversation, everyone. And so I was wondering, are there any other NF traits you'd like to mention? Anything else you believe that these types might share together? Just to piggyback off of what Carol was saying, I think that it like that it once again it goes back to that carrot thing which we were talking about. Like if you did not have that irrational optimism, then you wouldn't have gotten to where you were. And I feel like that's what everything just kind of like circles back to. And this goes into like every situation. Um, in fact, I don't know how much this goes with like y'all, but for, like for me, for example, I realized that um, even though like, okay, I know that Joyce may not relate too much because she is a self, um, what's the word? Self said when you, when you say it yourself, I forgot what the term is, but she claims herself to be pretty much like low key a cynic. So <laughs> maybe as an INFJ with higher TI, like you, that, that would be like different. But for me, it's, I like naturally just trust people. Um, and so I, even though like something in me will kind of be like, mm, they're probably going to play you or mm, th th that's probably not like going to go the way that it is. I also have this like understanding that, or this belief, I guess I should say that if I invest, if I operate as if I truly do believe this situation is going to carry out the way that I'm hoping for it to, then it actually will. Um, but if I allow my doubts of this person, of this situation, whatever it might be, to actually show itself in any way, then it's going to subconsciously influence the situation. It's going to subconsciously influence that person. If I'm like, if if something in me is thinking all the time, like, hmm, Paul is fake, you know, and, you know, I just, I just don't really like him in this way and this is that. And then I don't do well to keep that part of me or whatever, like pushed down. Um, then it could bleed into our dynamic and then it could cause a self-fulfilling prophecy um, where now, because Paul has been getting these small, like subconscious, like hints, like, yo, Denzel, you think this way of me? Now he might act in a way, and then I'm going to think to myself, like, yeah, see, I knew you were fake. I knew you were going to leave me eventually. I knew. And it's like, well, if you really look over your your the way that you treated him, no wonder he left, because you, you kind of made him feel like this already. But just like how there's, like, bad self-fulfilling prophecies, there's also good ones. So if you, like, if you're, like, again, like, I refuse to believe that Paul is fake. I, I, I'm, I believe that this is what's going to happen. I believe that love will prevail, whatever it might be. Then I think that's what's going to cause also self-fulfilling prophecy um, to where it's, like, again, like, it's irrational. But um, I don't know how many of you may have, like, seen, like, Rhea, the last dragon. Um, but I think that the main character in there, she was an EFP, 
Um, I forgot if she was ESFP or ENFP. I, I lean on ESFP though. Um, but her father was an ENFJ in my opinion as well. And it's not, this isn't much of a spoiler because you have to like watch the movie to really understand, but he just had this irrational, which ENFJs tend to like this irrational view of like, just trust everyone. Nobody's going to really play you, you know, like, <laughs> and it's like this naivety of some sort, like just trust. The more that we show people that we trust them, then the more that they're going to not want to take advantage of that trust. And it's like, I feel like we all low key know, like that's not 100% true. Like there's a lot of wicked people out there who will be like, oh, this naive guy, like he trusts me so much. Like watch me be a scar to Mufasa, you know, and play the mess out of him. You know what I mean? But I feel like there's also like a truth to that where it's like, if you operate, like you really do trust people. So, man why do you still trust me so much? Like after all the reasons I've given you not to, I don't, I think I just want to become this person that you already believe me to be like, cause this is like, you have so much faith in me. And I feel like that's what it is. Like when you have that faith in someone, you have faith in like humanity in an irrational way that the NTs would probably be like, don't trust anyone. <laughs> or like, maybe even like, again, like some higher TI types, like don't trust anyone. And they're right to an extent, but it's like, no, the paradox is if you treat a lot of people as if you do trust them, then even if they're not trustworthy, somehow that'll change them to become trustworthy. And then that'll change your doubts as well. Um, and that's something that I've like always like noticed about myself. Like, cause then yeah, like spoiler alert, which we'd all would have guessed anyway, by the end of the movie, like you find out like, dang, you were right all along, dad. Like if we just learn to like forgive and we learn to like trust people, then this might be, it came with some consequences, but at the end of the day, again, like you were right. Like, and if you did not have this irrational belief, then we wouldn't have arrived over here. So I feel like that's again, like, like we really are called to be the irrational people of the world as NFs. Um, and it's our irrationality that causes the impossible to be done. Just like how with SPs, it's like, there's no way that you can jump 30 feet in the air. And the next thing you know, like the SPs, they have this irrational thought, like I could do this. And now we see people in the Olympics doing crazy stuff. You know, it's like every temperament has their own like irrational thing. Even like the rational types, they have their own irrational thing. Like looking back in the past, I, I believe that, uh, What's that dude's name? Tesla guy. I forgot his name. Um, well, Elon Musk. Musk. Yes, Tesla. Elon Musk. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you really meant Tesla. Nikola Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is that is a reasonable confusion to have. Yeah. True. True. But yeah, I believe that Elon Musk is an NT, so he's a rational type. But people could probably look at him and be, "There's no way that you can make a car that drives itself." that's an irrational thing to think about. And then next thing you know, he, look at what he did. So it's like, everyone has their own irrational thing. And we're as NFs, we just have the irrational, uh, the progression of humanity, I think. So like when we have that ideal, that irrational ideal, then that's what we create. Um, and that's what we've been given the responsibility for. So, yeah. And then just like what Joyce is also saying, which for me, 
well, I think all of us kind of like alluded to this. Like for me as an ENFJ, like the most, like for me, every uh, every single waking moment of the day, like literally I want to spend it in depth of connection, um, whether that be with somebody else or now I've been like, you know, learning, especially as an Enneagram nine to like turn that inward as well. Um, but I just always like, I just love that. Like that's where my extroversion like really comes out. Like uh, spend time by myself or spend time deeply connecting with somebody else. It's like, I'm going to choose that. Like, let me explore your mind. Let me explore your heart. Let me explore your values. Let me see the world through your eyes. Like nakedness is like, again, like that's, that's what I'm always wanting from someone. And I want them to be able to trust me to like slowly metaphorically like strip everything and see like, wow, like most people usually gasp as soon as they see this scar or they usually, you know, like laugh when they see like how, you know, frail I am in this area or whatever, but like you didn't even bat an eyelash. In fact, you kissed my scar for me. You asked the story behind it kind of thing. There's something different about you. And then from there, I'm able to also, you know, like start doing my own metaphorical stripping. And then that's how intimacy is created. Um, and in that non-judgmental place, even if we disagree on certain things, um, at the end of the day, it's like, no, but I can understand where you're coming from because you've allowed me to be able to see the world through your eyes. And that's that's the depth of connection that I'm always seeking. And I feel like that is a very big like NF ideal. Like everybody loves to connect deeply, sure. But um, I do think that that's something that NFs are like constantly like looking for. They're constantly looking for that depth of connection and emotional, um, interpersonal uh, rawness and nakedness um, between each other, because then it creates this euphoric um, way of just being able to uh, relate. Yeah, NF's desire state of communion with ideals, with others and and themselves. Like NF's want a communion of ideals almost. And so with the trusting people, like, and being innately trusting is definitely an NF trait. By the way, Denzel, I'm very innately trusting of people. Oh, it makes me so sad when when I get called cynical, Denzel. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, wait, no, I thought you, you've definitely said that before. I, I self-proclaimed cynic, you said that before sometimes. Yeah, you've said that, like, you're like, no, I don't trust people, like, Denzel, like, I'm always thinking, like, you know, mm, this person's this, or like this is that. I'm always like skeptical of people, and I think especially when you identified as a six. So I was like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. It's not that you don't trust people at all, but like you said that, like I, you specifically said, like one difference between me and you is that I'm more like naive toward people, whereas like for you, you, you have more of like a hmm kind of thing. So. I don't want this to be a situation where it's like, oh, I read you wrong, but it's like, I distinctly remember you saying that because I always like take these notes in my mind. So yeah, I think changed. Yeah, I think both notes can be true. Like, here's the thing, like, I'm really good at holding paradoxes in my head because I don't think they're paradoxes. So oftentimes people think that two things cannot exist at the same time, which, which I totally think can exist at the same time. I can both be cynical and trusting at the same time. And that doesn't have to contradict itself. I can be cynical about people and the longevity of relationships just because I don't believe that people stay forever. And I, I believe that people oftentimes they either go off on their own path or 
they die, right? And so I'm cynical about that. And I'm I'm cynical about people's integrity. I don't think people typically have integrity with their word, but I'm not cynical about people's potential and like trusting them to to be a certain way or to to be their full self or that like it, it it's kind of complicated so i have a hard time kind of articulating myself which makes it so as it, long it, as you know that like yeah like i wasn't trying to like just randomly call you cynical like in that way but like yeah it was something that you self-omitted that's what I, that's the word i wanted to say earlier the term like i yeah. instinctively remember us having a conversation about that and i was like oh, okay that's interesting and yeah, but I, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm easily kind of like feel sadness there because like when people think I'm INTJ, that actually makes me really sad, too, because I like I feel like a fluffy marshmallow. And then people tell me that I'm not a fluffy marshmallow. Yeah, it's kind of like someone telling me I'm something that I like I, after a while, I just I get like kind of hurt by it because it's like, wow, I'm just a broken person. No one can really. Well, I will. You don't have to cut this part out, but I'll just say that anybody <laughs> who does believe that you're an INTJ by any chance is either stupid, doesn't know you, or just doesn't know type, or maybe all of the above. Because like, what? No, <laughs> that's just not. No, <laughs> definitely do not. They do not know you. Even when I just said that, oh yeah, you have like you have a cynicism to you. There's a different kind of cynicism that you have than what INTJs usually have. So, no, <laughs> that's that's not that's not the type of cynicism that I was talking about. I was just talking about more of like a probably people. I would be more likely to be played by someone than you would because you're more skeptical of people in that regard. Whereas, like, I'm more naive toward their uh, motives, even if I might be like aware of it. It's like. I, I, I naturally would create less of a defense toward it because I want to believe that they won't do that. And that's, that's how I saw like your quote unquote cynicism is like, no, I'm more aware of like what they can do and I'm going to create more of a defense against that. But it doesn't mean that you don't trust that they can change. It's just that it's a higher level of I don't really trust, which to me, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Higher TI. Yeah. Appreciate you clarifying that. Yeah. Idea. And yeah. no, I don't think that you're a, a cold, cynical, robotic type of person. No. Yeah, computer noob. <laughs> it's okay, Paul. Uh, I'm gonna cut this part out anyway. So uh, I just wanted to clarify. I this. Speech though. This yeah, I, I, I think you should keep that. That was a that was a good clarification. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> it's like my my deep insecurities. I don't want it on the internet. Something that may help with that. Yeah. Okay. Dick Thompson taught me this. I attended a, a, a he teaches something called communication wheel, and he teaches the eight functions to think of the eight functions as if they're languages, because we're using different verbiage and we're talking about different things based on the function we're speaking from at the time. And I uh, did the extroverted thinking. Uh, uh, exercise and I opened my mouth and pure extroverted thinking flowed out and I thought oh my god how did that happen and the, my partner said oh you really did do it and I asked Dick and you and I both have an, uh, you have introverted thinking in the third function I have extroverted thinking in the third function <clears throat> and I said Dick how is it I could go there and so you know he you know extrovert intuition and introverted feeling extroverted thinking 
and for you, the second one is extroverted feeling. Well, those are very, FI and FE are both very vulnerable functions. And he said, it actually is uh, a way to protect ourselves when it's not safe, Paul's nodding at me, when it's not safe to stay in introverted feeling or extroverted feeling, a safe place to go that gives us a little distance and protection for you as introverted thinking and for me as extroverted thinking. So I've known, you know, I was in the software industry, so that's a certain group of people. But I knew a lot of people with INFJ preferences. First of all, you're all cerebral, okay? I mean, leading with introverted intuition. And it's okay to go into your introverted thinking. That's, I mean, that's okay. That's a strength that you have that developed. And Dick said, it's just a smart place to go when it's too vulnerable to stay in the feeling function. So it's okay, Joyce, if you come across a cerebral sometimes. It's not, it's not a flaw. It feels like a flaw, trust me. <laughs> like it, it really does. Like I feel like I shouldn't be alive when people point it out. Like it literally makes me like a little bit like, why am I alive? Yeah, so that's my deepest insecurity right there. <laughs> I like I feel like a warm person, but it doesn't doesn't show because I'm dead inside and I know that and I don't know how to fix it. And so I feel like a sense of desperation in myself because I don't feel like I'm good enough in any way. <laughs> it's so sad. My mine snakes. <laughs> no, yes. uh, no um, I'm kidding. It's actually, it's actually, uh, it's actually death, and that we don't know what happens. But like, this is the, you're in. If you're in this state, this is a, is a season in your life. You probably, I mean, you've spent a while, and you, you're you're always in your NI, and you spent a while in your FE. And so, some reason you're in your TI a lot right now. Probably it's why you seem like an, um, you know, INTJ. One, if they like, you know, if, if they're trying to tell you what type they think you are as a way to slight you. They can, you know, politely, respectfully, go fuck themselves. Um, be, I mean, like, it, 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 but I mean, it, 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 sh it shouldn't matter. Like, there's a way you come across to people. Sometimes, sure, you come across yeah. it because you're actually a person. You have different parts and different situations. It's crazy. Um, uh, not that you come up oh, crazy, of course. That's, that's my job, and I'm joking. But like, they, they. I mean, that's someone they, they, they can think what they want, but. Um, like it, it is hard to be, it's hard to be a feeler. It's hard to be a feeler because it, it's vulnerable. Especially yeah. Effie. Yeah. And like I said, Joyce earlier, like if they think that, then they really don't know you because yeah. you're, you're super feeler to me, you know? And maybe it's just because me and you have a different dynamic than how you might come off to whoever be saying this stuff to you. But also, that's look, that's compliments. You know what I mean? Like again, like I know that you said that, like, oh yeah, when people view me that way, then it makes me feel some type. Well, people at my old job, they were literally like telling me that they think I'm an ISTP, pretty much. Like, and it's like, wow, like I could take that as like, oh my gosh, you think that I'm a censor? Wait, you think that I I have FE last? You know, like that type of thing, or I could be like, oh. It's interesting. That's a different side. You know, right. I know people who would be like, what? ISTP. But it's just like, okay, you know, cool. You know, like either way, I don't, I'm me. I'm still as awesome as I am. You know, you're still as awesome as you are. And yeah, you, Joyce, you do have a pretty sharp TI. Um, but that doesn't mean that you also do not have like a very strong, like passionate FE side to you. At the end of every single video, you give a whole 
FE shotgun to everyone. What INTJ does that? You know, like that's that's just not <laughs> it, it doesn't, yeah. So I'd say embrace all of those sides, you know, both your cerebral and your um and your more fluffy side, because we I I think that we see both and and even if they're saying like, oh yeah, INTJ or whatever, INTJs have soft sides to them too. So it's not even it's not like that shouldn't be an insult. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't be offended if someone called me the smartest type. <laughs> yeah, the mastermind. <laughs> oh, they are. Um, the strategist. Yeah, there are layers to 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 that that I I don't want to waste our whole recording kind of going into. So I'm not gonna go into it. But yeah, but thanks everyone. Joyce, at the risk of saying something silly that you might have to cut out, there's this Taylor Swift song about haters gonna hate. And it makes me laugh. Shake it off. Shake it off. It is also very useful because that yeah. helps me. You know, when somebody criticizes something about me or something about I believe in, I can go inside and go, mm, yeah, haters going to hate. That is not about me. That is about them. Yeah. So Taylor Swift just makes me smile and helps me get a bit of healthy distance when, you know, most of what other people think or say, is is saying way more about them than it's saying about us when they think they're talking about us. So yeah. haters gonna hate, and it's not about us. And players gonna play. <laughs> you just gotta shake, 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 shake it off. The the philosophical writings of T Swift always change things for you. <laughs> I mean, it could be malice, like it could be like they're trying to hate you, but or they just they just don't understand type well enough, right? And then you know, instead of going, oh my god, you think of it in type, you can just think oh that's cute okay sure oh it's so cute you're trying to know type and paul i think that's a good that's a real good point there some of the things people say to us about type that is insensitive are really hurtful is said out of a lack of knowledge like yeah. said, oh my god that is so far off base and people will say really hurtful things sometimes that they don't get that it's hurtful. So there's a distance between what right. they were intending and how something came off. Um, yeah. So that's part of the way. It's not all, just all about hating, but people sometimes say things that come across as very insensitive and they just, right. they don't get it. So again, that's saying something about their skill. I mean, I've had to spend a lot of time, you know, with the sensitivity, yeah. putting some distance between myself and not letting myself be negatively impacted because you're just jerked around by the world if you're constantly being negative impacted yeah. by other people's stuff and where i go to with that is i can forgive any I, I consider that when people do things like that it's unskillful yeah and i can forgive anybody for being unskillful god knows i've been unskillful so it just helps me go to a place that, that was an unskillful thing they said and and I don't have to let that get inside me for what that's worth. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just, just know that you're warm. That's, that's pretty much the main point. The biggest thing that you feared was, oh my gosh, I'm, that don't come off as warm. No, you do. And I feel like if anything, those people are just saying that you're, you're too smart to be an INFJ. That's pretty much what they're saying. They're probably not saying that you're not warm enough. And if they do think that you're not warm enough, well, then again, they don't know you. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the main thing. So no, you, you do not come off as if you're, super cold and stuff like that, Joyce. No. So don't, please don't internalize that BS. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, I, I'm fine with being called any type in the sense that I think all types are equal. Like, so I don't think one type is better than the other. But what, I, what I'm triggered by, and I know it's just me getting triggered, it's that it's just kind of like feeling like you're cold and emotionless when you're not. So what it feels like is, you know, you want to see yourself as a godly person, but let's say people always tell you that you're ungodly. It's kind of like that. It's like after a while, what it implies kind of hurts. Not the exact title itself, but how it implies that like if you're religious, like, oh, you want you want to be godly and someone's like indirectly telling you, I don't see that in you, but like kind of like that type of thing. But anyways, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, thank you. I appreciate it. And so on a different note, if someone was trying to tell apart these four types, mm. how would they go about spotting your type or differentiating it from other types around it that are NF? ENFJ is the one that's cool. ENFP is the one that's fun at parties. INFJ is the one that stares at you strangely from the corner. And the INFP is the one crying in the other corner. Done. Easy. <laughs> I, I have been unduly influenced perhaps by Linda Barron's. I've been yeah. studying with her for years and I go to inter I mean, interaction yeah. style is not a theoretical framework to me. It like lives and breathes in people yeah. and ENFP it's, you know, I'm just, I have a classic presentation of get things going. It's yeah. that, it's that energy. It's a high, it's a high, it's a fast energy and it's not all good, right? I, it can be draining. There are times I reel it in because get things going can be too much for other people. Um, INFJ, that's that chart the course. Yeah, there's a there's a sense of focus about the eyes and there's a mapping things out and the thinking things through before you speak. And there's a in charge to uh, ENFJ and quick to, to take action and motivate. And INFP can just, uh, I've had many, many friends in all of these, but INFP. Behind the scenes. Yeah, behind the scenes. There's this wonderful, that and INFP and INTP, frankly, too, I seem to bring them both into my life. As someone with the, you know, ta-da, ENFP, classic, get things going energy, I really like the behind the scenes inside softer gentler uh calmer energy and it's like i've attracted those people as friends it's like we both appreciate what the other one brings to the table also I have a lot of chart the course friends and it's like i appreciate their calmer more inward energy and they appreciate my liveliness so um uh yeah i think if you really look we present we've got the core of, of values okay we've got the catalyst values driving us but i think it's how we present um how our energy you know not that we can't do all of it right but how we typically present it looks pretty different to me once i learned interaction styles from barons it got got easier for me to tell it's nice um, the interaction styles and like the the the, the, the accuracy roles it's got uh, two factors to like, it's, it's, there's an X, Y axis. So it creates that, that matrix, right? So you can, the, the in charge or curiously called the initiator, expressive and directive, the, uh, the, um, chart the course or the contender is, what was it? Um, attentive and directive, the 
get things going or collaborator um, is expressive and uh, was it um, informative. And then the, the behind the scenes or the responder is attentive and informative. So, I mean, you can kind of look at either one of those one at a time and kind of narrow it down by half and then then find the other. Yeah. Paul was nerdy for the QC temperaments for some in some point of his life, so he can recite it from memory. <sighs> oh yeah, I remember it's on the table. I remember it, it's it's, but it's 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 brilliant. It's brilliant stuff. It's just so so neatly sliced. Um, and so you can kind of start with. I mean, there is sort of a hierarchy of of the coins, um, but you can. But there's so many different ways that you can approach trying to find the type, right? If you know that that the the NFC idealist, uh, the the catalyst, which you know, definition is beautiful. It makes you kind of sad. Like we just help other people change and we don't, we don't get anything out of it. Um, but that, but that temperament, you know, if you look at the QC model, um, if you know, if you, you understand, you find the idealists, the NS by their abstract communication or what he called word usage and their, their, uh, cooperative action or what they call tool usage, then you can further look at the expressive versus attentive coin and the, the um the directive and informative coin and you know just there i mean if you can you can look at those a little bit it's like why do the enfp and infp seem kind of similar if they're both more likely to share and exchange information than just um then try to uh direct uh and then see are they um trying to attend more and respond more to what's being said or are they trying to really collaborate with those people in generating the ideas then you can start to narrow it down there Mm-hmm. It's helpful to have that behavioral uh, market rather than trying to see what function is that. I mean, you mean you can do that, but that is it's kind of the ultimate um, uh, difficulty of psychological typing is trying to um, trying to sort of integrate the the functionalist um, approach uh, perspective with the structuralist approach, right? Stru- functionalist being like behaviorist, looking at their outward manifestations to infer the the cognitive contents um but i I think that's what kirsty did did really really well and and barons too building on top of that i think she she added even more to it um that's just that's a really good way to see these types in action and more easy it's it's really good for like people watching and kind of observing them in their element right trying to identify them in the moment rather than have to sit down and ask them a bunch of questions about their life so that could be a quick way to to kind of identify which one that is really good. That's that that true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a really good breakdown of Kiersey's material. Some other ways you can go about telling apart these types is the responding and initiating coin. So the introverted types in the NFs are of the responding. So they're typically waiting for someone to initiate with them. Whereas the extroverted types from these NFs are more initiating types so they're more likely to initiate contact and take more dominance in conversation too <laughs> Roy, can, can i share something silly i went to a, a conference with some colleagues a number of years ago and and several times i would come back to the group and i'd say i was standing i'd been in like the booth room you know the 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 display room and i'd say you know what i said I was over such and such and somehow we got to talking and then I would share with them what we learned. 
guys, it took me years to figure out that I was the somehow we got to talking. My perception, I was initiating all the time, but it was so natural. You know, it's my filter, right? It's the water I swim in. It took me years to figure out I was the somehow. I just, it just seemed to me it just kind of happened. No, it didn't just happen. I opened my mouth and was friendly to somebody and that started it. So um, it's sometimes hard to have that uh, view of yourself, but uh, I love type for, for giving it to me. So, so I was the somehow. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. ENFPs are good for keeping the spark going in actually like conversations. So it doesn't die down. It's they're able to keep the conversation going which is also a product of their NE too. <laughs> I have ideas for days. <laughs> and the lack of, I mean, sometimes it's a healthy thing we do to keep the conversation going. And sometimes it's a little unhealthy because we can't handle the silence. But part of it for me is a sense there's discomfort in the group. So I'm trying to build a bridge and help extend the comfort. And Trust me, there were times in my youth when I did it in an unhealthy way that was probably more than the group needed. But uh, as I got more aware, I used it in a more knowing way. But but yeah. Mm hmm. Well put. Well put. And another way to tell apart these types, too, is I guess when they have an idea, how long do they stick with that idea? NPs, when they have an idea, typically like they'll be really excited about it for quite a while and then the excitement will die down. And then sometimes a lot of the ideas kind of like lose their shininess sometimes. It's almost like NE users are more likely to be interested in a bunch of different topics in different fields. So it's almost like they have a wider breadth. They know a little bit of a lot of things. So NE is really good at kind of like SI file cabineting random information from different places, or it's not necessarily random, but it's like from the different places they've been researching. And he has a excitable idea hunger sometimes with that. Whereas like with NI, like with the ENFJ and the INFJ, they'll just turn everything back to the same concept. So Denzel will always talk about the carrot and the stick analogy until the end of time and relate everything back to it. He's like, Everything in the world reminds me of this carrot and stick analogy. That's basically what NI does. It takes this one concept you can apply to everything. And it just stays with it for life. <laughs> and so that's one of the signs of NI versus NE. NE is way more broad and plethoric and, and has a wider scope of ideas that it'll entertain and explore. NI just wants to find like this set of ideas that it can stick with for life that will explain everything of all time. So NI is kind of looking for stability and meaning. NI is kind of looking for a stability in concepts. So it's like what idea stays stable over time. So they're going to be more likely to return to the same old, the same ideas over and again and again and again and again. Uh, like you'll see it in Matthew Hussey. He just returns back to his concept. He'll talk about things like invest and test, and he'll just talk about the same concepts over and over again. NI is just like, it, it, it's very scarce with its ideas and it'll keep adding to these scarce ideas to like fully flesh out these few ideas that it has. NE is more going to be curious and bounce off of a wider range of ideas in general is what you'll see. But both types can be incredibly intellectual too. I will always defend that 
I think that Russell Brand is an ENFP, regardless of what other people may type him as. And you can see him always like constantly idea generating like Mad Cow. And he's a type seven ENFP too. So it's just way obvious NE too. And so it's like any on steroids. And so you'll see that difference of he'll be excitable about this idea and then excitable about this idea, but he's very excitable about ideas. Um, whereas NI is, is going to be more scarce with the ideas that it'll entertain and more centered in like the few ideas. <laughs> Joyce, Bob McAlpin teaches the metaphors that made a lot of sense for me here. In Extrovert Intuition, the metaphor he uses is the lighthouse. And you know how the light goes around? Any is scanning. And it's, it's not doing so in a linear way. It's doing so in a relational way. It's scanning for what else, what do I see here that's new? And what does that relate to? And he said, NI is like a laser beam. And it's not about a dearth of ideas. It's about they laser in on something. And that's why we can be good together is because I'm doing scanning and uh, NI is doing lasering. But I do see, does that, does that difference, Denzel and Joyce, does that uh, resonate with you? The NI is like the laser beam. Paul, do you, do you, does, does the uh, lighthouse metaphor, does that resonate with you at all? I, I think anyone who, I, I think Joyce could attest to that in our conversations. <laughs> He's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I once distinguished NFPs and NFJs as like um, that if we're looking for um, X marks the spot, then the NFJ would be the one to be like, oh, there goes X marks the spot. Let's land the plane there and let's start digging to go as deep as we can. Whereas like the NFP is like, no, but we're having so much fun in the plane. Let's just keep on flying around the world. And it's like, why would we do that? That's that's the destination. X marks the spot. That's where truth is. That's where whatever it might be. And it's like, yeah. And then now the story is going to end. It's like, no, the story is not going to end. Now is when we're going to start digging toward the truth. It's like, oh, but there's probably more X's around. And it's like, and then the NFJ is like, no, that's the only X. <laughs> and so, but the NFP is like, well, what if? And so I feel like that's like a big thing too. It's like the, it's not that NFPs don't know how to find truth. But it's like if they, to, from my experience, if they see truth or something, like if they see an opportunity to land the plane somewhere, then they're so excited about the idea. So they're just like, no, let's just keep on exploring all these different, like, oh, but what if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? What if? Th what about this possibility? What about that possibility? It's like, and the NFJ might be like, you don't have to think so much about all these different possibilities when that might be the answer right there. And we just have to start digging more and more into that answer. The NFP is like, that's not as fun. But the NFJ is like, how can not digging into the answer be fun? And so I feel like that that could be a distinguisher. Um, and then also another could be, uh, I see NFPs as the people in the world who are constantly looking for novel ways to express oneself on um, their inner desires, their inner who they are, like just these novel ways to ex of self-expression. Whereas I see NFJs as the people who are looking for constantly for different ways to progress how people interconnect with each other. So they're like constantly looking for like, okay, like how can we bring our interconnectedness, our interpersonal dynamics to the next level. Whereas like 
NFPs are like, okay, how can we bring, how can we understand more of who we are internally and be able to express that in a way that may even not be like, you know, the stereotypical, maybe even be like taboo. So that's how we might get like a whole bunch of like different cultures. Like, um, and that's why I think NFPs love to like travel so much and see like, how are everybody else like living their lives that's different from what I'm already used to. And then how can I like integrate that to what I'm used to and then create even something different from there. Um, like yeah. furries. Or like bronies. Furries. I mean, that's obviously where I started. Hold on. Like furries? Is that what you said? Oh, yeah. Like uh, <laughs> um, people who uh, like to dress up as other animals. Okay. That's what I thought you were talking yeah. about. Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just no, wanted to make got sure. an FP, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What else could I have been talking about? Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Kids are watching. But yeah, exactly. So I feel like there's just, yeah, those are like certain things that it's like, because NFPs are like, well, since it's always been done this way, why not do it this way instead? Yeah. Denzel, I, I think just in response to that, I don't think I'm intentionally looking for novel. What you just turned a light bulb on for me here. The things are just coming up. Mm. Uh, they're just, you know, it's perceived, it's presenting itself to me. And I'm not intentionally generating novel. It's like it just, you know, the brain is doing what Dario describes as a Christmas tree thing. And so it's putting these desperate things together. And so something pops up. So it's not like I'm even in charge of driving it. It's like I'm on the receiving end of the new idea. And yeah. one of my failings with it is I'm constantly unintentionally coming up with a better way of doing something. And yeah. I'm not trying to. It just, yeah. oh, it'd be better if I put the keys here. Unfortunately, my introverted sensing is not as well developed. So the next day, I can't remember what was the better way. So I can't find that thing that I came up with a better idea. But I wasn't intentionally trying to do novel. It just presented itself to me. I think ENFP is about, oh, this could be even better. I was um, yeah. leading it. So thank thank you for turning that light bulb on. I, yeah, was, sure. I was managing a group of technical writers at one point, and a writer would say, oh, I ran into such and such problem, and I did such and such and fixed it. And I'd go, oh, wow, that is so much better than the way we've been doing it. We should do it that way. And then I looked around the room and it was deer in the headlights and, you know, NFP, I've got my sensors. I'm going, oh no. So I walked it back and I said, you know, but maybe, maybe that's not considering all the ramifications. That was a great idea Linda had. Would somebody like to look at that with Linda this next week? And then y'all report back to us if y'all think, that, and inevitably at least two other writers would raise their hand because they're very cooperative people. And they'd go look at it because I realized I lead with NE. I have no loyalty whatsoever to how we did it before. It's not that I'm looking for a different novelty. I just have no loyalty. If you show me a better thing, I'm on it. But that gives deer in the headlights to other people. So I had to learn, wait a minute, I'm way out in one end of the spectrum. So let's pull it back. Um, yeah. And that's yeah, what I think. I think that actually makes total sense. Um, and it, yeah, it, especially like, you know, like it's not, it's not something that's like consciously done. Like 
I remember like, even like for me, like as a child, ever since I was a kid, like I would just see shows, I'd see people interacting. I'm like, it's almost like snobbish in my head. Like, well, obviously if you speak in that tone, then that's the kind of emotional reaction you're going to get from the other person. How do they not see that? You know, it's like, oh, obviously if you like, and so I'm not like consciously like looking for how to improve in that way, but it's just like, it just comes up. It's like, oh, this is, this is just what it is. And then you eventually realize like, oh, not everybody's paying attention to that. So it's like, wait, these people really don't know how their conflict started. No, it didn't start just now. It started about 10 minutes ago <laughs> when you said this, but, and then that made him think this, but he wasn't really responding to it just yet. It just planted the seed over there. But then he said this, and then you felt like now that was a seed planted over there. And then boom, boom, boom. And there's been times where I've had to like deconstruct a conflict down to its core, even in like group chats. And people are like, oh, I didn't even know that I affected that person that way. I'm like, yeah, like, and so it's like, okay, yeah. Like, so maybe there's ways that we should create. So that's why maybe we should start being more intentional with how we speak in this way. That's how we should probably be more intentional on how we do this and all of that. And I, I so I feel like in the same sense, like, yeah, like it's, it's not, yeah, every every one of us NF types, um, it's just something that naturally like, comes out. Like, I agree with you on that. You, you just gave me an idea. I want, want to ask if y'all feel this. When something happens in a room and it shifts the energy because, you know, somebody got, people got offended or they felt put off and it, th there's a shift in the room. I feel it viscerally. Same. I feel it in my body. And the thought is what you're saying. How can they not have seen this? Mm -hmm. But everybody doesn't have these sensors and they don't do y'all do y'all experience it sometimes in a, i mean you feel what what is that saying you could have cut the you could have cut oh, that the tension with a knife right that's right you could have cut the tension in the room with a knife it's like when it it shift it's like whoosh i just felt the energy get lowered and get more dense and uh do y'all y'all have that experience too am i saying okay yeah yeah that's really relatable carol and so thank you everyone for coming out today and sharing your nf story and your big heart for the world thank you for showing that sensitive place you have for the suffering of the world that your sensitivity shows that you still care that caring is the catalyst in which we'll change the world and so thank you for that. I appreciate all of the heartfelt contributions and all of the wonderful ways of putting the NFs, you know, the mention of Martin Luther King from Denzel, that was a really impactful in a very visceral way to kind of put NF into a statement. And with Carol, you were able to encapsulate this really enthusiastic, optimistic spirit that actually is able to elevate the mood of people and also provide them a sense of hope with their lives because ENFP optimism is contagious, especially as a seven, as an ENFP, that is optimism on, on drive. It is the golden retriever of optimism. <laughs> it may be the border collie of optimism. <laughs>
Yeah, and it makes people optimistic too, because through your feeling, they're able to also feel that too. So thank you for that. And thanks, Paul, <laughs> for your jokes and for your Kirzian knowledge. You know so much about Kirzi's work, probably more than Kirzi knows about Kirzi's work. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't mean to call you a jerk, but Kirzi died about eight years ago. So that means I do know more about him, and that just means you're insensitive. Uh, no, uh, no. I'm, I, I, what I meant to say was, I'm happy to contribute. I'm happy to have you as a contributor. <laughs> yeah, thank you, NFs, for showing your emotionally naked heart to the world. And hopefully through that, it's able to inspire people to be more vulnerable, to be more loving and more kind to other people's sensitivities. So through being such heart-led people, we're able to kind of make the world more heart-led too through our ideals we are change makers through our wanting the world to be a better place and so i appreciate that that there's an inner change maker in every nf and in in people in general it's just nfs can't turn it off so it's almost like that part of your brain that's a change maker is like change maker change maker whereas like everyone has it within them but nfs can't ignore that side of themselves and so thank you for having that similar annoying voice in your mind <laughs> that always wants the world to be a better place and can see a better place and hopes for a better place. And that's where real change is made. When you see the change and you keep fighting for it or a part of your heart can't forget about the beauty of that ideal that you see. It's almost like the most beautiful thing you can see in the world is your ideals. And so trying to bring your ideals into the world is a way of bringing beauty into the world. Well, or Regina Hall. Uh, she's also, she, she's, she's absolutely, I think she's the most beautiful woman on the planet. Uh, but like values are, seeing values, that's a close second for sure. <laughs> or actually, I think Scarlett Johansson. Because Ron Miles is Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson is the girl that even all straight girls want to get with. And Ryan Reynolds is the guy that even all straight guys want to get with. So I guess Ron Reynolds and Scarlett Johansson, number one, tied for number one. Second two is Regina Hall. Third is values and optimism. Get that right? Yeah, couldn't have put it better myself. You probably could have. It was very <laughs> sloppy. <laughs> and so thanks everyone for watching and I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. I enjoyed the whole thing. I enjoyed you guys so much. So nice to meet you.